Hey, as we continue our series called Decided, we're looking at the key decisions of a follower of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to have a, a picture of what do you do when you don't know what to do? And that's the question I want to ask you. What do you do when you don't know what to do? And our options today is you can choose to worry or you can worship. Where worship is really the choice that we have when we go through at times of crisis. And why don't you know what to do? Well, there's reasons for that. Usually a problems, a problems are a reason we don't know what to do. When a problem surfaces, it usually comes out of left field. It doesn't hit us when we're expecting it. It hits us by surprise. And so we question, oh no, what's happening? Or, and then our, the, the problem really has to do, uh, with, uh, pressures in our lives. Pressures come in and that has to do with our capacities. Can we meet the demands of reality? And when we can't, pressure kind of rises. We go through problems every day. But a lot of those times we can just do things in seconds that will alleviate that problems or give us directions. But when we go through a crisis, we go, whoa. And the pressure kind of builds. And then there's perceptions. The perception of what will people think if this happens to me? Or how am I going to do that? And sometimes uh, perception is even more powerful than reality itself and its sway in our lives. And then there's the probabilities, right? We tend to run the numbers. Like if you're diagnosed with something, you go, well, what's the survival rate? We like really high upper 80s, 90s. We like those numbers. 50 or below, wow, we get real nervous. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Some of us freak out and we kind of, uh, we, we kind of, uh, process things out loud and so we go verbal with it. I don't know what to do. I need someone to talk to. Will you process this with me? And we go kind of go crazy on that. Others of us get angry and we curse or we, we go off, you know, off, off the rails in our lives. Others of us go silent. And we try to gather information. We try to process it. And we lose sleep. And we're constantly processing things. Others of us remain calm. My wife's one of those. She remains calm. The first time uh, we met, it was a blind date. And we went over to this couple's home. And it was potluck dinner. So we all brought different things. And my wife bought some rolls. And she brought a salad. And she opened up an old-fashioned oven. And the pilot light had gone out of it. And the gas was still in it. So it opened up. It caught the front flame and went whoo. And in seconds, all of the hair on her face, gone. No eyebrows, no eyelashes, no front bangs in her hair, gone. And everyone goes, and I, of course, was very courageous. I grabbed in and I stomped out her hair, you know, and I just had the smell of dead hair, burnt hair on my sweater. And she goes, hey, I need a moment. And she goes into the bathroom. And as she goes into the bathroom, uh, she's literally combing clumps of hair out of her head. And all the guys gather around me and go, hey, man, if this thing takes off, I mean, sparks on your first date. <laughs> And uh, so she comes out, she comes out and I go, what do you want to do? She goes, well, let's eat. <laughs> okay. I'm not this person here. And, and then, Hey, let's, uh, get, Cheryl, do you want to play some games with us? Sure. And I thought, wow. Now all along in the back of her mind, she was saying, he's a blind date. It's a blind date. It doesn't work out. It's okay. But you know what? I looked at her and said, man, she is worth my time. This is a, she's, she's a rock. And she's always been that for me. But I freak out. 
Okay? And so I need someone in my life when I go through crisis to come alongside me and say, it's going to be okay. Chill, man. Just chill a little bit. And, and she's guided me a lot in times of crisis. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Think of one word that would describe what do you do when you don't know what to do? Got that word? Share it in the spirit of vulnerability here today. Share with the person next to you. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Share that one word. I'll let you go. Have your time. All right. I said one word. I said one word. Many of you are verbal processors and yada, yada, yada. You're talking all over the place. So what is that word? You know, you think about it. We're going to learn. We're going to learn what that word could be if it was worship, if it was worship. And we're going to look at a story in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles, not Corinthians, that's New Testament. Let's go Chronicles, Old Testament. And if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Second Chronicles chapter 20. And we're going to be talking about a king named Jehoshaphat. Anyone here named Jehoshaphat this morning? Okay, rappers knew him as J-Fat. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But at any rate... He was a king, and uh, he led Judah, the southern tribes of Judah, in around the eight, 860s B.C., and this story happened around that time. He was 35 years old. Anyone in here 35? Happy birthday. Good to have you here. Uh, we're going to learn about this king who had, uh, you know, he was a good king, and he did a lot of good reforms and a lot of good things. And you kind of think if you had a good king with good reforms, that God would do good things in his life. We tend to think that way. If I come to church, if I give in the offering, if I'm a nice person, God owes me good things. But that's not how God works. Because God wants us to worship in every environment. In a broken, messed up, unjust, evil world, dark world. We're called to worship him through everything, our great days and our horrendous days. And here was a horrendous day in the life of Jehoshaphat. Take a look at it with me in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. It says, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites and with them some of the Mayunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came to Jehoshaphat, a great Multitude is coming against you from Eden and beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazar Tamar, that is in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. As we think about this, when you when you go through a time of crisis, when there's a threat there in your life, when there's a emergency or when you're panicking, what do you do? And he's choosing here to worship. He's choosing here instead of instead of worrying about things to worship. Now, each week, as I talk to you about the the life that kind of follows your choice to live a decided life, there's the two sides of what do you do when you don't know what to do? And if you're going to worry Things you tend to have this word in your life, scatter. You tend to be scatterbrained. You don't have thoughts that are consistent or directed or focused. They're scattered and you, things kind of swirl in your life. If you've ever been there and you've struggled with anxiety, you process and things are just thrown around in your life. 
But if you worship, what did Jehoshaphat do? He sought the Lord. He 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 would be a person who sought the Lord. I will seek the Lord is what he did. Worry tends to isolate us. It tends to draw our world in, push our walls in. And we tend to do that. We withdraw sometimes when we go through crisis. A lot of you have withdrawn from the church when you've gone through a difficult time because you think churches are just for fun and happy people, you know, and it's easy to think that. And when you go through a difficult time, you isolate yourself. But, you know, here, when you choose to worship, you call to gather. That's what Jehoshaphat did. He didn't just tuck himself away. In his own little prayer closet, he said, no, we're going to seek the Lord together. Let's gather together and all the cities around Judah gathered together in Jerusalem to seek the Lord. God, what would you do here rather than what's going to happen to us? And then when I'm led by worry, I tend to be led by fears, fears of the unknown. What if I'll always I'll never get, you know, and you, you process thing based on your fears. But when you choose to worship. Then you live by faith. You live in faith in the one who will deliver you. When you worry, you tend to be consumed by life. But when you worship, you tend to be confirmed in your faith. So here's the question I'd have for you. What do you want when you go when you don't know what to do? Because you can either have with worry, you can have the worst of you. Or if you worship, you can have the best of God. And you know what? Did you ever realize that that the time of crisis in your life, whether it's financial, whether it's relational, whether it's even mental health issues that you're dealing with? Did you ever realize that that might be an invitation from God to worship him on a deeper level than you ever have before? Because if you can worship him in your crisis, my goodness, you can worship him on when, the, when it's not raining outside and everything's going well. It's the depth that you're willing to worship will, will actually determine the depth of your faith. And God might be saying, hey, can I become greater in your life? Will you worship me when things aren't going your way, when you don't know what to do? So look at what Jehoshaphat does. He says, he at verse 5, And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord, before the new court, and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. What was he doing here? What he's doing, what he was doing is he de- declaring the greatness of God. He was saying, God, you are great. He asked the rhetorical question, and I, I really like it. Are you not God in heaven? And think about this. If you're gathered with a whole bunch of people, everyone would say, yeah, he's God in heaven. And look what else he says. And you, you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Yeah. Our God rules over this whole world, every nation he rules over. Now think about it. It was specific. He declared the greatness of God. When you don't know what to do, worship and declare the greatness of God. Go specific on this. I think it's important if you're going through a health issue, it's good for you to declare the greatness of God in the area of healing and health. When someone I pray with uh, is is going through a health issue, I, I tend to go, God, you are the great healer. You're the one who heals the brokenhearted. You're the one who gives strength to the weary. Declare his greatness. What are you doing? You're turning from worry 
to declare the greatness of God. By the way, that's the end of all of our worship. It's to make God greater. He's to make, he's to be made greater in my mind, in my heart, in my life, and in this world. And when we worship, we gather together and say, isn't God great? We don't gather together and say, hey, look what I did this week. Hey, look what I'm doing. No, worship is a humbling of ourselves to declare the greatness of God. And don't you need him to be greater when you're worrying? Jehoshaphat, he started worrying. And you know what? That's a very normal, raw emotion. Worry is going to happen. Anxiety is going to happen. Fears are going to hit your life. What do you do when you fear? When I am afraid, I will trust in you. It's that picture. We declare his greatness. That's exactly what Jehoshaphat did. He declared the greatness of God. Look at verse 7 now. It shows you this, the next thing he did. It, he asked this question. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and they have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you for your name is in this house and we'll cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab. And Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. What is he doing here? He was remembering the faithfulness of God. After you declare the greatness of God, it's good when you don't know what to do. Worship by remembering God's faithfulness in your life. He said, see this land as they had enemies who were going to come and try to steal that land from them. He said, God, didn't you give us this land? Answer, God gave us this land. Didn't you didn't you call us to build this place called the temple and to worship you and at a time of crisis to come to you and call on your name? Didn't you do that? <laughs> See, God wasn't going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. That's why I did this. No, God remembered this. See, worship changes our hearts. And when we can remember his faithfulness, it gives us perspective in times of crisis. Remember when I t- we were talking to you about perceptions? Your perceptions without God will jump you off a cliff. That's why we need to really, really steward our perceptions to the fact of our faith in the scriptures. God, did you not provide for me? Some of you are struggling with your kids. You might want to say, God, you gave this kid to me. He's a blessing. He, he was one of the greatest gifts and he still is a great gift in my life. I trust him too. You provided him for me. Some of you who are going through financial crises, you might want to go, God, you provided me up to this point. Man, how did that, how did that happen? You brought me to this place. You open your hands. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. And think even about the sparrow. I've never seen a sparrow, and we've had lots of them in our atrium, upper and lower. But we've had loads of those. I've never seen a sparrow with a backpack on. Never. Because God feeds them every day. They, they store nothing. And God feeds them every day. How much more valuable are you than a sparrow? Remember God's faithfulness in your life. It's good to recall. It's good to stop back and go, 
God, you provided this. Count your blessings. Remember his faithfulness in your life. So when you don't know what to do, declare his greatness. Remember his faithfulness. And look what else Jehoshaphat does in verse 12. He says, oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? By the way, the name Jehoshaphat literally means God will judge. How about that for your name? He said, will you not Jehoshaphat them? (laughs) But here it is. For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. And here's my favorite line of the whole, whole story. We do not know what to do, but... Our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. You know, when I'm going through a crisis, at least when my kids were young, I'd go, honey, let's talk about this sometime else. Or we'd be talking about a financial challenge, and all of a sudden a kid would come in the room and go, no, Joshua, everything's fine, yes. You know, it's easy for us to exclude our kids in this matter. But we don't transfer faith when our kids just see us in the good days. We transfer faith when our kids see us the reality, when, they, when we're vulnerable with them. It's good to cry out to the Lord together. So they invited the kids in. They brought the kids in. They brought the wives in. And here you have grown men saying, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's a great moment of faith. What they were doing when they didn't know what to do is they were confessing their heart to God. When you worship, that's what you do. You confess your heart to God. Confess your heart to him when you don't know what to do. God, I don't know what to do. So many of us think we we operate with our strengths with God. God says, no, no, no. I become perfect when power reigns in weakness. So go weak with me. So many of us think we need to dress up to come to church. And what God is saying, no, spiritually dress down. Show me who you are. Tell me who you are. Confess who you are. Confess what your needs are. God wants us to lay our whole lives down. That's the whole picture of worship throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. It carries with it the phrase offering. Offer to the Lord. And some of you go, okay, that's money, right? It's not just money. It's your whole heart. It's your whole life. It's everything about you is what you offer. And if you can talk about your weaknesses, if you can talk about your need with God, you can talk about pretty much anything. That's why as long as you're depending on yourself, as long as you view yourself as self-made, self-dependent, you will never worship God. It's in our need that we come and we lay our whole lives before him. I don't know if you've done that here. I, I would hope you could. I would hope whether it's in the scriptures, when someone's teaching, you go, yeah, oh, wow, I need that. I confess my heart to you, Lord. Man, I'm sorry about that. Turn my heart away from that. Some of you, um, it may be while we're worshiping in music that, that all of a sudden you may hear that phrase over and over and all of a sudden you go, wow, I need to do that. And you trust God while we're worshiping. Offering your whole life to him. When you confess your heart to him, that's when God begins. That's when God begins. So we don't know. What is it, that thing in your life right now? A crisis, a challenge, a major frustration that you are worrying about that you need to come and just say, God, I don't know what to do about this thing, but my eyes are on you. It's time to lift it up to him. It's time to give it to him. And look what God does when you do that. Let's keep reading. Verse 12. 
It says, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benani, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite. Aren't you glad you're not reading the Bible this morning? On the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up from the ascent of Ziz, but you will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. When you don't know what to do, worship and trust in the hand of God to deliver you. Trust in the hand of God to deliver, to deliver you. Now, if you're have a, if you have a military background and you've worked out the probabilities of what two major kingdoms to the southeast of your small little dinky country can do with weapons you don't have and military strength that you don't have, you are thinking flee. Get out of the way of these two mammoth, mammoth nations coming against you. But God is saying, trust in me. Trust in me. Do not worry. This battle is not yours. You realize when you trust God with something, he bears that burden. When I got married, I had garbage in my life. I had character issues. Sometimes I still do have character issues. And guess who has to deal with that? My wife does. My wife does. And it's easy inside marriage to go, oh, that's her. Ah, man, she's always and then never. Whenever we use those two words, it's rarely good, you know. She's always this way. She's never. It's easy for us to build a case. But you ever realize God brought us together? Her problems. Guess what? They're your problems. They are. His problems. They're your problems. Yes, it's when you start owning someone's burdens that marriages start to get healthy again. She's my wife. I will be with her through this. Do you know when you start allowing God to bear that burden, you know what he does? These are my issues. These are my issues now. They're my issues in you. Will you trust me to take care of those in your life right now? Will you come alongside me and have me bear that burden? That's why Jesus always said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. And what will I get? I will give you a rest. Rest for your souls. Stop working. Start trusting. And that's what he did. Look at Jehoshaphat in verse 18. It says, then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord and the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korhites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. What is he doing again? He's calling them to trust. Here's the leader, right? When he first heard the news, they're coming up against you. They're really close. He was afraid. He sought the Lord and now he's he's following. He's believing God. 
And he's calling them to believe the Lord, to be strong in the Lord, to trusting. See, faith is always trusting God at his word. It's taking God at his word and acting on it. A lot of people can believe in their minds, but they really need to, to walk with their, with their feet. And here they were willing to do that. Believe God. He will establish you. Believe his prophets. Trust in the word of God in your life. We need to do that. That's why we need Jesus. He's not just a good guy who's given us a good moral code. He's the one who lived perfectly for you and me because we can't live perfectly. Some of us can live better than the person next to us, depending on the topic that you choose to compare yourself with. But none of us can be perfect. We need Jesus to be perfect for us. Faith is saying, Jesus, you were perfect. I'm not. Jesus also died on a cross for our sins. He took the price on the cross where God judged your sin on his life. And when he died, God said, paid in full, completed. Do you know that when you take God at his word and coming to Christ, you say, Jesus, even though I try to be good, I can't be good. You were perfect and you died for my sins and you offer forgiveness in your name. So when you trust in him to forgive you, you're trusting that his work was good enough. It was complete. And then he rose again from the dead. And when you put your faith in a resurrected Christ, you're saying he defeated sin and death and will do that in my life. And you trust him and you take him at his word and take that next step of faith. When you're in crisis, what does it look like to take that next step? Jehoshaphat said, believe. And he called others to believe. And look at what happened. And when, verse 21, and when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Again, if you're in the military, you go, what? What? Military bands are for celebrations after we win. They don't lead the troops into battle. Even today, we don't put artists in front of things, especially in concepts of war. Artists write songs like war. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Huh? That's what they say. (laughs) But here, Israel or Judah was putting the artists, putting the band, the worship band out front. They would lead the battle. So there they are. Give thanks to the Lord. His steadfast love endures forever. By the way, the the nations that were rising up against them weren't even around them. They were going out to meet them, just singing this. They hadn't even seen the enemy yet. Do you ever realize when you choose to worship, God might be working in a way you can't see it yet? Maybe he's working in a way you have no idea, but his power is alive and active and working in that situation. That's what faith is. Faith is trusting God even when you can't see it. And here, look what happens. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end to all the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. Catch this. Okay. So 
It may be difficult for you to understand this, but I'm, uh, I have a Palestinian background in my life, so it's my family heritage. Arabs have never gotten along with each other. And here you have some Arabs getting together. And what happened is the Spirit of God came into their, into their group, this, this loosely knit horde of people to attack Judah, and it had a field day. They started looking around and Moab and Ammon started saying, hey, I don't like these people around us. Let's knock them out so we can take all this land with Judah and boom, destroyed those inhabitants around them. And then they probably looked at each other and said, we don't like each other. So let's attack each other. Great. And everyone dies. Everyone dies. Judah hadn't even shown up on the scene. And look what happens. When Judah came to the watchtower, verse 24, the wilderness, they looked toward the horde and behold, they saw dead bodies. Sorry, that was a movie, right? There were dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were the three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. In the fourth day, they assembled at the valley of Baraka. For there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the valley of Baraka to this day. What did they do when they didn't know what to do and they worshiped and God delivered them? They rejoiced. They rejoiced over his blessings. And that's what we're called to do. Now, think about this. They show up on the scene and everyone's dead. They didn't so much take a spear and do this. They didn't take an arrow and pull it back. Everything was just fine. And they show up and the band gets the first choice. And the warriors probably were walking behind them. And they went through it. And for three days, they picked through everything. Can you imagine them coming home? (laughs) And they've got gold and they've got goods and they've got Food, because that was in the middle of nowhere, wilderness, and and the armies kept the big stockpiles of food, and they brought it back. Can you imagine? You're the wife of one of these guys coming back. Hey, where'd you get that? The kid's running out, perhaps the first to meet him, going, Dad, where'd you get that? And you finally would go, oh, well, I, no, wait a minute, God gave this to me. God gave this to me. Can you imagine some of those goods probably staying within generations in those houses from generation to the next generation? Hey, Where did grandpa get that? Yeah, the Moabites. God delivered grandpa. Grandpa didn't know what to do when that happened, but he put his eyes on God. And God delivered him. Do you realize the legacy you leave when you choose to worship over worry? Think about the lives in the future that will benefit from you worshiping today. With when you don't know what to do. It tells a story. Your faith tells a story in your life and the other, the lives of the people around there. Your family is, is profoundly influenced by your faith or your lack of it when you don't know what to do. As I talk to parents and I talk to children and I talk to adult children, you parents have no idea of what your lack of faith or your worry passes on to your kids. It's time to be people of worship when you don't know what to do. And make God great. Don't show him the worst of you. Show him the best of God. And 
don't you give up yourself every day when you worship? Yes, you do. It's not about you. It's about God being great in your life. But they rejoiced. Look at how they rejoiced in verse 27. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet for his God gave him rest all around. I mean, here you have rejoicing when they return. Look at what God has done here. They have fear in all their enemies. That little dinky Judah, we could all take them in a second. They're like high school juniors that look at kids in a movie. I could take them. I could take them. That's how they looked at Judah. But, but then they started to fear. It's not Judah. It's their God. Don't mess with their God. You mess with, no, you mess with Judah, you mess with their God. Someone messes with you, they mess with your God. And they rejoiced. They rejoiced when God delivered them. Can I just encourage you on something? Rejoice today in what God will do tomorrow. Some of us are going through crisis and it might take you spending eternity before God explains why you went through or why you're going through what you're going through. Are you willing to rejoice right now in your times of trials and suffering? Rejoice that there will be a time when God takes that away from you. Because there will never be a day, never be a moment, a second in eternity where you go, God, you were unfair, you were unkind, you didn't know what you were doing. No, throughout eternity, you will say, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His loving kindness endures forever. God, it will always, you will see that in eternity, even if you don't understand it right now, that God's loving kindness endures forever. He treated you far better than you ever deserved. And when we rejoice, we give him, we give him praise. We lift him up. We thank him, even though we don't understand what everything is going on. Take that time to rejoice over God's blessing when you don't know what to do. Here's the deal again. Have you decided? Have you decided whatever that issue that you might be going through crisis on, whatever that issue that builds frustration in your life, have you decided to worship over worry? I hope that you'll decide to worship. Remember that thing I asked you to think about, that crisis, that frustration, that challenge in your life? Let's practice what we saw in the life of Jehoshaphat. Let's do that through prayer right now. Let's pray. Father, you know that issue because it affects our relationship with you. The thing that we worry about and that just consumes our lives Lord, we confess that to you right now. We, we declare your greatness. You are the great healer. You are the good. You are the one who is mighty, who goes before us. All of creation, all of creation is under your reign. Heavenly Father, we remember your blessing to us. You brought us this far. Your grace will lead us on. We remember all the times that we've worried in the past and you've and you showed up and you delivered us and we give you the glory and give you the praise for that. Lord, in these issues, we confess to you that we're broken. We don't know what to do. We really don't. 
It's beyond us solving. And that's why we need you. We thank you that we can turn to you. We thank you are God of the brokenhearted. We thank you that you don't look for our, our, our best in everything, but you become our best for us. Heavenly Father, we want to trust in you. So whatever it looks like, whatever that next step of faith looks like to trust you with this issue, give us the eyesight to see it. Give us the ears to hear it and give us the feet to follow you. And we declare now, we rejoice that this is a time where we can grow deeper, where you can be of great blessing to us. We trust you. We've decided to worship you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.